Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. I don't know where you put some of these stories with that. That's a hard one to process, if I'm honest. You know, if you're like, I don't get it. I think there's things where we're not supposed to get right now. But I can promise you this, man, the enemy is always, always going for the kids. He's going for the kids. Because you never know when a Moses is going to show up. You never know when a Moses is going to, when the deliverer is going to show up. It breaks God's heart even more than it does ours when children are threatened, hurt, or killed at the hands of evil. Satan uses broken relationships, mental illness, and all sorts of deception to lead people to commit these horrendous acts. And it's a calculated attack on God and his children. As Pastor James will remind us in today's message, we need to stand strong in our faith and in the midst of tragic loss. God is with us, and he'll bring justice to those that refuse to repent and turn towards him. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. book of Hebrews, which is kind of a, we're in the New Testament, but we're also in the Old Testament. It's kind of a fun, Hebrews is, is like that, right? You go through the book of Hebrews and it's pressing on through the New Testament, but it seems like you kind of travel back in time going through the Old Testament at the same time. It, it's a fun little book. And chapter 11 has been a fun teaching, a fun, I think, chapter for us. It's kind of cool to go through this and, and take each individual character at a time and to look at how like how the Lord used them, but also how they lived out, like they displayed faith. And, and that's, a, that's a question that, that is on the hearts and the minds of a, a lot of people. Like, what is faith? Or what does faith look like? The world needs to see how we as believers live out our faith. The darkness is growing darker. So as that's happening, Christians, gotta, we, we just got to shine. And how do we shine? Well, we shine by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the light of the world, and living out our faith in him. The darkness that we live in is not, is not like this is the first time this has ever happened or the world's never been like this before. It has been like this before. Even the word tells us like it, towards the end of it all, the days will be like in the days of Noah, right? It's bad today. It was bad back then. It's also bad in the life of Moses, who we're going to read about tonight. I mean, this guy was born into like just a chaotic situation. You, we, we know we, we covered Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and how God ultimately, you know, in blessing Isaac and Isaac was pronounced a blessing upon both his sons, Esau and Jacob. And then we saw how Jacob would pronounce a blessing upon Joseph's two sons whom he had adopted uh, and Jacob had adopted. And then we see that Joseph communicated to the children of Israel, like, don't leave my bones here in Egypt. This is not where I belong, right? And he's kind of prophesying to them to a certain extent, we're going to be in Egypt, but we won't be here forever. And it would be hundreds of years that would pass before they got to leave. But what started off as like a good 
quote-unquote relationship. They, they ended up in Egypt because of famine. And God used Joseph in his, how he was working in his life through all the, all the hardships that Joseph went through. God was using all those for good because Joseph was loved and called according to the purpose of God, right? Like Romans chapter 8, that's Joseph's life. But what happens is, as, in, as you have this family, which is already a big family, 70-something members, continues to grow and grow and grow in Egypt, which is always symbolic of the world in the Bible, the world is going to be, grow more and more hostile towards God's people. It's just how it is. That's how it is. And that's what we see develop when you transition from Genesis into the book of Exodus, Hundreds of years has passed by, and the children of Israel are just, they're multiplying like crazy. And the new leaders in Egypt, they, they hate that. They hate, they hate the Hebrews. They hate them. And they're a threat. And so right before Moses is born, this new law goes out. If there are any Hebrew male children born, they must be murdered. And that is the correct term, murdered, because that's what you do. When you kill babies, you're a murderer. That's how it works. I don't care if they're inside the womb or they're outside the womb. You're a murderer. That's how it works, okay? That's what Pharaoh was wanting to do for all these Hebrew boys. And I can promise you this. If he could have killed them in the womb, he would have. He would have. He had handmaids waiting right there as the babies are coming out, saying, if it's a boy, kill it. If it's a girl, let her live. That's what Moses was born into. That's what he was born into. Dark, crazy scenario. We'd see that almost mirrored, almost mirrored exactly when Jesus was born. And Herod's like, kill the baby boys. Kill all those. Why? Because there's a threat. Well, what was behind Herod? What was behind Pharaoh? Satan? Demonic activity. Anytime babies or lives are being threatened, I can promise you this, it's demonic activity behind it. It has been in the Bible, and it's still true today. And so here's Moses. He's going to be born, you know, he's not the firstborn to this lovely little family. He's the thirdborn child, right? He's got an older sister, Miriam. Then he's got an older brother who, if you look at the chronology of like the time, he was, he was what, three or four years older than Moses, Aaron? Um, so he must have just missed that, like, execution date kind of a thing. I don't know what had happened there. But you have Miriam, then you have uh, Aaron, and then the third child born to this, this couple, nameless couple, Moses' mom and dad. He's born at the wrong time. He's, not, he's born at a time like, we can't, you can't bring a kid into this dark world. What are you thinking? That's, that's crazy, Right? What are you thinking if you're going to bring a child into this dark world? Oh, no, this child's going to deliver God's people. I don't, care what this, I don't care what the culture's like. I don't care how dark it is. It's never an excuse. It's never an excuse. I can imagine Moses' parents thinking like, what have we done? You know, or, but no, they didn't think that way. They didn't think that way. They saw Moses as a gift from God. And they knew there was something special about this kid. And little did they know God was going to use him to deliver his people. That's why every life matters. That's why the enemy wants to slaughter babies. 
That's why the enemy wants to motivate people to go into schools and kill babies. It's because he's afraid. He's threatened. Because out of these groups, you never know who's going to be a Moses. You never know who's going to be a Moses. And so the enemy is always, always going after our kids. Whether he can try to take them out. Now, again, I believe in a sovereign God. He's in control. And nothing can happen without his okay And I don't know where you put some of these stories with that. That's a hard one to process, if I'm honest. You know, if you're like, I don't get it. I think there's things where we're not supposed to get right now. But I can promise you this, man. The enemy is always, always going for the kids. He's going for the kids. Because you never know when a Moses is going to show up. You never know when a Moses is going to, when the deliverer is going to show up. He went after the kids when Jesus was born. Why? Because the Messiah was prophesied to be born then. And here's Moses. Here's his family. He's going to, you know, he, he, God's timing is perfect. And in this chaotic time of like, you know, you don't, this is not the time to be having baby boys. That's when they had a baby boy. And I look at this, it's, this is uh, the, the start of it, right? So we, we know Moses, he's a great man of faith, a hall of faith, absolutely, absolutely. But his parents, the parents don't ever get any kind of shout out, right? I've read through commentaries, I've read through books, I've listened to sermons and all that good stuff. Moses' parents don't get the respect that is due to them. They are in the hall of faith. And they are not named, and that's okay. And that's okay. So praise God for unnamed parents who saw something special in their kids that they knew, man, let's give this one to God. Watch what God does with this kid. By faith, Moses, when he was born, now Moses being a newborn kid does not have any faith, okay? It's, it's, uh, if, if he has any, it's just total dependence on his mother, um, is by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict or the king's rule or the king's law. Culture said this, and they say, you can keep your culture. You can keep your culture. The law says this, you can keep your law. We will break your law. There are times when you should break the law. If it's contrary to God and his word, break the law. I know that's not a popular thing, or maybe that is a popular thing. It makes friends with some and enemies with others. I don't really care. If something goes contrary to God's law, if there's a rule that is put in place that would cause you to sin against God, you break that law. Break that law. Shouldn't be a problem for any of us. Most of us are rebels anyways, right? We're like, yeah, I like break, right? I've been driving around for about two months with an expired license tag or whatever on my, right, no inspection. I got that fixed and my car's registered. So now I'm legal. The sticker doesn't say I'm legal, but I know I'm legal, right? So I'm good. Pull me over. I got proof, right? I don't like driving around like that because they do like to pull me over. And I don't like paying those tickets. I've done that before. But here's the law, a law made by Pharaoh. And he says, if it's a male child, if it's a male baby, you kill the baby. And Moses' parents are like, 
I don't think so. We will not kill our baby. We will break your law for the sake of our child. Because that's what you ought to do. Turn over to Exodus, please. Exodus. You can go to Exodus chapter 2. I just want to kind of frame out this story. Uh, We're going to cover about basically 80 years of Moses' life within a matter of four verses in in Hebrews chapter 11. So we won't go into great detail on a lot of things. We just talked through the book of Exodus uh, not too long ago. But I do want to focus in on the birth of Moses. So Exodus chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now a man from the house of Levi, so we know they're Levites, okay, went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, a beautiful child, there's some uh, old, like, historical kind of mythological thing saying like he was shining when he was born. Even when he was born, he was like shining. There was something different about this child. He was beautiful is what the word says. Beautiful. She hid him for three months. It says in verse three, when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of uh, bulrushes, right? This is uh, reeds, Okay. And papyrus reads, and she she daubed it with uh, this is ESV um, bitumen and pitch, right? So here's what she did: she took some reeds, papyrus reeds, and she sealed this mini ark because that's technically what it is. It's a mini ark, okay? Uh, not made for animals, only made for one little kid, right? And she made him a little bitty mini ark, and she sealed it watertight. She's going to hide her baby in there because she's had him for three months, but it's getting to the point where she can't hide him any longer. So she's like, we'll make him a basket and we'll put him in the basket and we'll place him among the reeds by the riverbank. This is a desperate mama seeking to save her baby boy. She, She didn't have to worry about Miriam. She didn't have to worry about Aaron because apparently he's old enough. He's past the point where Pharaoh's threatened by him, I guess. But she knew, she knew the enemy would be coming after Moses. And so this is a desperate mom. And we don't know if she felt like an umption from the Holy Spirit to do this, but it worked out. It didn't make any sense. Why would you build a little ark and put your baby in a little ark and put him by the reeds? You know, maybe she just felt, maybe that she was being led by the Lord says, verse 4, and her, uh, his sister, Moses' sister, Miriam, stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. While her young women walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant women, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. So she took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then the sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother, right? So Moses's mama, right? They get this, this all works out beautifully. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. I'm going to pay you to raise your baby. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. That's a great plan. That's, a, that's fantastic. So she, by faith, they hid Moses 
This is an act of faith. This is what we get in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, and it wasn't just her, it was her and her husband. Hebrews 11 identifies that it was both mom and dad together that said, we have to hide this baby. And so they hid the baby. And then lo and behold, coincidentally enough, Pharaoh's daughter comes strolling down to the riverside, finds baby Moses, and is like, this is a beautiful baby. It's a Hebrew baby. She knows that. And praise God, she's not like her dad. Praise God that she didn't listen to her dad's rule. She could have killed Moses and would have been justified in doing so. But no, she saw something. She said, no, this baby boy needs to go home, needs, needs to be mine. And so he gets weaned by his mom, and his mom, and they get paid by Pharaoh to raise their baby boy, who would soon deliver his people from Egypt. Crazy how God works. Amazing how God works. I think God has a sense of humor, um, and I think he just laughs at our wisdom and the knowledge of man, right? He's like, are you serious? You guys think you're so smart. You got nothing. We have nothing on him. Nothing. We don't even begin to scratch the surface of his wisdom. He's amazing. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. Moses sounds like the Hebrew word for draw out is what that, is what that says there. So here's Pharaoh's daughter. She finds Moses, sends him to, to his mom unknowingly. She sends him to his mom, and he is raised to a certain extent by his mom, but then mom's got to give baby boy up. In order to save his life, she had to give him away. And that's a hard thing. That's a, ter- that's a tremendously difficult thing. I can't even imagine what it would have been like for Moses' mom and dad. I'm sure they still got to see him, you know, and maybe it was at a distance. I don't know. We, d- we don't have any of the gaps filled in for us from the scriptures. We know that Moses was raised in Pharaoh's household and because he was the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, he really could have been in line to lead, to rule. There's some ideas, um, ancient kind of Jewish literature that's out there saying that Moses was thought of as being a mighty warrior, a mighty warrior. But he grew up, he grew up in the household of, of Pharaoh. But as he's growing up and as he's receiving the best education that is, you know, known to mankind at that point in time in, in Egypt there, tremendously educated, growing up there, learning to read, learning to write, learning all this crazy stuff. He knows, this is, these are not my people. This is not where I belong. They're not, this, this is not who I am. I know that this is who adopted me. This is maybe who God used to rescue me, so to speak, but these are not my people. This is not who I am. This is not my identity. And Hebrews chapter 11, you can jump back to there. Hebrews chapter 11 now kind of transitions from Moses's mom and dad's faith to Moses's faith. The first act of his faith was choosing his identity, who he was going to be. It says, verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, 
choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. Okay, that's something, that's a phrase that you should mark within your Bibles. You should either underline that, you should put a star by that, you should circle it, you should highlight it, you should do all of the above. Because I can tell you this, the pleasures of sin are fleeting, fleeting. Yes, there is joy and there is, you know, euphoric sensation and all like, but it only lasts for a second. I don't care what the sin is. It does not last. It cannot sustain you. It will never satisfy. There is no end to it. And Moses got that. When he had grown up, how old was he? Well, could have been, you know, this is right before he, he killed an Egyptian. So he grew up in the household, and this is no slight to Pharaoh's daughter at all. But he's like, I'm sorry, but I'm not Egyptian. I'm not your son. I'm a Hebrew. And those are my people. And at this point in time, his people are enslaved. And he chooses to say goodbye to the wealth and comfort and pleasures that this world had to offer to him, which he could have just indulged in all he wanted. He said no to those things. And he says, I will, I will be with my people. And if that means I suffer, then I suffer. Because a life of suffering is better than a life of fleeting pleasure. And that's something that, as Christians, we need to understand. We need to get, Church of America needs this lesson, I think, sometimes more than anything. Nobody likes to talk about sin anymore. I mean, just, just watch some of your popular church services. Like, nobody's talking about sin anymore. Nobody's telling you, hey, sin, it's fleeting. It won't last it won't do anything for you. In fact, it, it makes it worse for you. In fact, you should say no to the temptations for that. And, and you should choose this pathway, the pathway of suffering. Nobody's preaching that because that doesn't fill seats. That doesn't get retweeted. That's not going to get you more followers on Instagram or whatever else, Snapchat and all that stupid stuff, right? Like nobody, nobody's going to follow that because nobody wants that. But that's a reality. Moses, growing up in a life of comfort, could have very well easily just said, you know what? I like this. I can have anything I want. I know those are my people out there. I know they're slaves. I know they're suffering. And he probably felt this, this unction from God of like, I've selected you, Moses. I got a plan for you. He could have ignored that and said, you know what? But I like this. And he could indulge in that. Wealth, I mean, just wealth that you can't even measure. All the desires his flesh would have had could have been met there in a life lived in Egypt, in a life lived in a palace. But it says by faith, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused that identity because that's not who he is. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. That was an act of faith. Why? Because he saw something better coming. He saw something better coming. This world can offer you pleasures that last momentarily. And it is better for us to deny those things and to live for something that will last forever.
Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We have story after story of the people who followed God through every hardship and trial, but the ultimate hero of our faith is none other than Jesus Christ himself. Jesus knew every temptation, every trial, and every suffering. He chose to lay down his life for our sake. There's nothing that you can face in this world that Jesus can't understand, nothing that he didn't face himself. And that right there is the greatest hope that we have in this life. You're not alone. You belong to Jesus, and he understands every tear. And one day you'll rise again and be with him forever in paradise. You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James is teaching through a series called Heroes of the Faith. Each person we study reveals more and more of the Father's glory, his patience, his faithfulness, and his goodness. If you missed one or more of these messages, I encourage you to go back and listen to them again. You can find them at breadforthebroken.com. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. And be sure to come back next time as Pastor James continues right here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, babe.